Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is our cyber jockey, Zach Zlotnick. Hey, Joe. And uh, my co-host, Cliff Zlotnick. Hey, Joe. We've also got the Unsmoke Instructor Extraordinaire back again this week, Bill Wagon. Good afternoon, Joe. And we've got a great show ahead of us, so let me get rolling here with... uh, the background information. Today's segments will include the microband trivia quiz, Don Manger of the ASCR, Association of Specialists in Cleaning and Restoration. I have to be careful, the acronym police are in the room. Lloyd Weaver of Lloyd's Inc. And Glenn Fellman will be doing his segment called IE Connections, What's News? First, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Our other original and continuing sponsor, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Also, Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Last but not least, Aerotech PK, the testing laboratory indoor environmentalists rely upon at aerotechpnk.com. To contact the show, you can either phone or text message by simply going to www.talkshoe.com's website. And follow the directions to get your PIN number. Our show ID is 1547. We also appreciate suggestions and will answer questions after the show by emailing me at joe.hughes, H-U-G-H-E-S, at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit IAQ Training Institute's website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let me turn it over now to Cliff Slotnick for the microband trivia question for today. Morning, listeners. Uh, Today's microband trivia question is a tribute to the financial impact one of today's guests, Mr. Lloyd Weaver, has had on the disaster restoration industry. I'll provide two hints to the microband trivia question for Friday, February 16th, 2007. A definition to the word and a musical hint. First, the definitions. Definitions to today's mystery word are a source of great and sudden wealth or a spectacular windfall. Zach, can you please play the musical hint, a theme to
Zach, thanks for that musical hint, a theme to a popular TV series. Sure thing. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. For those of you that are using um, VoIP, Voice Over IP, we do occasionally have problems with people getting in on the VoIP. So um, the best suggestion I can give you is to turn up your volume as loud as you can and, and keep trying. It's a little bit difficult through the talk shoe uh, system here. Our first guest today is Mr. Donald E. Manger. Don is the executive director of ASCR International, a position he has held since September of 2005. He's a career association executive and has managed state, regional, and national associations, including related research and education foundations in areas ranging from commercial construction to corporate financial management with revenues ranging from 500000 to $15 million. During his career, he has helped association boards to transform the financial and service performance of their organizations through improved systems, strategic planning and positioning, and marketing that resulted in threefold-plus increases in membership and non-dues revenues. Welcome, Don. You got a kitten up a tree, well, come to me. And I'll see it makes it on the front page. The mayor's mother broke a toe. They gotta know. Stop the press. It's a mess. It's a scandal of the age. Hell, it's big news. Another shock to rock. Good morning, Don. We understand that you have some big news about ASCR. Can you tell us what it is? Yes, I can. Thank you very much. Uh, it's not as good a kept secret as Operation Overlord, but as of noon today, ASCR became the Restoration Industry Association. What made you change a venerable name like ASCR, Don? The Board of Directors decided that the time had arrived that uh, the restoration industry needed to be unified and defined. This industry needs an industry association, and industry associations are much more than a society of people who work in a particular industry. They represent the business interests of the companies that are in the industry. ASCR has grown over the years from an association founded by experts in rug cleaning to include other businesses and professionals in cleaning, damage restoration, and remediation and abatement. Most of our members, in fact, perform work in at least two of these fields of restoration. Back when ASCR was founded as the National Institute of Rug Cleaners, it was an organization of specialists in cleaning who were working to discover, learn, and teach the skills necessary to do the work of the industry. Today, those companies and many more like them have built an industry, and they need an association that serves the needs of the industry, not just of the specialists who work in those companies. Thank you. Don, are you at all concerned that the RIA now, uh, and again, the acronym police are here, so the Restoration Industry Association will lose any of its members who are in the uh, rug and carpet cleaning business? You know, cleaning is an implied function of the word restoration. And, of course, I'm concerned about the support and needs of every member of RIA. That's one of the reasons why Restoration Industry Association is the perfect name for the association. The definition of restoration is to return something to a previous state or condition. That's what cleaning means. It's what damage restoration means. And it's what abatement is all about. All of it is restoration, and the public understands that. Since November, when the board voted on the name change, we've had a number of encounters that prove that RIA is a better name in the public's mind than was ASCR. Specifically, when we used 
to introduce ourselves to potential service providers as AFCR or ASCAR, an acronym that I've never particularly enjoyed, we usually had to go through two or three rounds of explanation before the other party understood which industry or industries we were talking about. But once we started introducing ourselves as being with the Restoration Industry Association, we found that understanding came almost immediately on the first mention of the association's name, and there was never a problem with the people we were uh, explaining ourselves to understanding that cleaning was a part of it. On the point specifically of whether RIA might lose its support from rug, carpet, and textile business owners because of the association's name, I don't think it's likely, and I certainly hope that doesn't happen. After all, the association's ASCR name was adopted from the members of the association to reflect how they saw themselves. The ASCR name was built around the terms cleaning and restoration for a number of years, and the cleaning term in the association's name was never limited to rugs, carpets, and textiles, but including cleaning buildings and mechanical systems. Additionally, in the public mind, cleaning is not a term that engenders understanding or even respect, and it's highly subjective. What is clean to me may not be clean, meet your definition of clean. In considering whether we should change the association's name, we examine how the public, our members' customers, would view the association's name. That's uh, an interesting uh, background. Uh, Bill Wagon has a question for you, Don. Yeah, Don. What, could, yes. what can RIA do that ASCR could not have done? Well, though I don't think the issue is what RIA can do uh, any more than ASCR could do. I think the issue is that RIA can garner more respect, more attention, and more results by the positioning implied through the name. Just as we found that people who have no connection with the association or to the industry understand much more quickly what a restoration industry association is than they do an ASCR. So are government officials and industry leaders who lack awareness of ASCR likely to have a more intuitive understanding of RIA and the benefits it can bring to the industry when we introduce ourselves to them. Cliff? Uh, what will RIA be doing now that it is an industry association? Cliff, thank you. I like getting a question from a former president of the association, That's, uh, and I like the fact that you're still involved. The process began more than a year ago, so the name change is just one of many steps in the process of reinventing the association. The first thing that, that we did was to assemble leadership, key staff, and representative members of different segments of the association for a strategic planning process that extended over seven months from December 2005 to last July. The process involved a lot of hard work, and the final report demands a lot of work from us in the future. One of the most valuable aspects of the planning report was the planner's consensus regarding our own internal cultural barriers that have kept us from succeeding to the extent that we wanted to succeed over the years in the past. This understanding of what has held us back well could be the most valuable aspect of the entire plan. Another important element of the plan was the mission statement that the planning team created. It reflects the association's past, present, and future aspirations to provide industry leadership, support science, and promote best practices in cleaning and restoration. All of our activities must directly relate to the mission. One of the things that I think is most important for the immediate future is to articulate our aspirations, a vision, if you will, for the industry and how RIA can serve the industry. By communicating a clear vision to the entire industry, RIA can raise a big tent that accommodates more participants. That ASCR should have barely 1,200 members after 61 years is unfortunate. I believe that the Restoration Industry Association should strive to triple that number over the next five years. Increased numbers of members implies two things, a greater influence of and for the industry, 
and increased financial resources to serve the entire industry. You give us a good background on, on the vision. Can you give us some more specifics about exactly what RIA will be doing, Don? Well, we've, we've, uh, we've uh, branded the rollout under the terms uh, RIA, Representation, Information, and Action. In the representation area, we intend to pursue legislation and regula- regulation that preserves competition and professionalism in the industry. PNC insurers have shown a disturbing trend to improve their bottom line by treating restoration work as a commodity rather than a skilled service. There is no one-size-fits-all restoration job, and to treat these jobs as such does not serve either the consumer or the contractor performing the work, or the retailers who supply the project. We've seen many cases that when an important client of an insurance company has a catastrophe in his home that the insurer will leave all discretion to the restoration contractor. However, when the policyholder is just an ordinary homeowner with no other business or political influence over the insurer, many will see fit to restrict the scope of work, set limits on amounts to be reimbursed, restrict the list of available contractors to a select few or to just one company. There's not a single PNC insurance executive who, in the event of a fire or a flood in his own home, would tolerate a restoration under these terms. So if RIA does not speak up for the consumer from its unique vantage point as restoration practitioners, then who will? As an aside, I just want to mention that RIA is not against the property and casualty insurance industry. We are against the short-sighted policies that many are using to control their claims payouts. What some insurers are doing in the professional restoration arena in this, uh, is similar to the attacks on them by activist attorneys general, as in Mississippi, that just caused State Farm to withdraw from the market, leaving Mississippians with about half the insurers this year as they had last. In the area of training and education, we've reorganized the RIA staff and expanded with a separate department devoted to education and certification, with led by a staff director who has 20-plus years' experience in the field. We believe that our role is in the upper echelon of industry training. Our six advanced-level designations are among, among the most respected in the industry. The Board of Directors recognizes the value of these credentials and has decided that they should be open to non-members of the association as one means of helping to raise the level of professionalism throughout the industry. While our advanced credentials are known and respected by industry insiders, we also need to open them to a broader audience so that more practitioners can benefit from them as well as the consumers whom they serve. Now, we're not going to be getting out of trades training necessarily, but what we are seeing is a much higher level of energy from our volunteers for the advanced level programs. If the energy emerges in, uh, for example, trades level training, we we certainly can consider getting back into that area. In the area of best practices, this is an important part of the RIA mission, and it's something we need to take seriously as an association also. We've already seen that by reducing the number of items on the association's crowded plate, we're able to generate a better quality product at a lower cost than ASCR has been doing historically. The boards applied this philosophy to the association's councils by streamlining their structure and setting up a regular rotation to assure that we have fresh ideas coming into the councils each year. Additionally, the councils will serve as a proving ground for leadership for potential candidates for election to the board in the future. Already, the rug, carpet, and textile council of the newly renamed NERC division has begun work on best practices guide for specialty rug cleaning. This best practices guide is a project that has been on deck for some years but never got out of the discussion stage. Our goal is to have it ready for publication by 2008. The Restoration Council spent two days last month reviewing all the activities on its program of work carried over from the former Restoration Council 
And at the end of their two days, they came out with a three-point plan that could be one of the most ambitious objectives ever undertaken by the association. They plan to adopt an industry business standard similar to those found in other industries and associations, such as the American Institute of Architects and Associated General Contractors for Construction. Don, I'm getting tons of questions in here and, and a lot of listeners that would like to ask. Let's, let's just go to one real quick that's a text message. Is the ups- upcoming convention going to be called the RIA or will, will you change in time yes, for that? The brand rebranding takes effect immediately. We have uh, 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 our website will, is converting as we speak right now. And all signage, all materials uh, distributed at the convention will be RIA. And just let me mention for those listeners that are are texting in and trying to get in, we're going to uh, try and get to some questions at the end of this section. Let me just uh, have Cliff go to the next quick question here, and then uh, we've got a couple others that we need to finish up, and we'll try to get to some of our listeners as quick as we can. we got a big job to do at ASCR, Don, or RIA now. Have you hired any additional talent to help you do it? Well, yes. I've hired some exceptional new staff uh, in, in the meetings and education and certification area. Cindy Mullally, who has uh, more than 20 years' experience, uh, and Sandy McAllister, who also has more than 20 years' experience in this area. They both have an exceptionally high customer service ethic uh, that is uh, achieving a, an excellent uh, response from the clientele that they have to work with. I also last year brought on board Patty Harmon, longtime editor-in-chief of Cleaning and Restoration Magazine, and she is a full-time uh, member of the staff as director of communications. Now, one of the other things we've done is we've augmented our special advisors. Uh, many, everybody is familiar, many people are familiar with Martin L. King, the father of the Certified Restorer Program, is one of our technical advisors, and Steven, Dr. Steven Spivak, who is technical advisor and one of the top textile chemists in the world. We've added, a, uh, develop, as a development advisor and facilitator to the association, a gentleman named G. Pete Consigli. Now, people may not know Pete, but in my view, Pete is a walking network diagram of the entire restoration industry, including cleaning, and brings a number of unique qualities to his assignments. And he has two primary jobs for RIA. He is to build awareness and contributions for RIA's Industry Defense Fund, and to develop a sustainable model for the water loss specialist training program so that when he steps down, we have a working model that future facilitators can step into and carry forward without having to reinvent with each iteration of the program. As a follow-up question, Don, I'm aware that there have been some departures from staff. Can you comment on that? Yes, we lost a few good people. Over the years, our members established close and caring relationships with the staff, and this closeness was partially responsible for our past success. However, the changes associated with making a quantum leap in performance can be painful. Although some of the staff have moved on, we've recruited successful, experienced association professionals who are dedicated to the, to the success of RIA and to our shared vision for the industry. You know, when the board hired me in 2005, they asked for far-reaching organizational change and told me that they had been dissatisfied with ASCR's performance for a number of years. I've been the principal agent in other association transformations, and I've found that the best method in my method is to first understand the organization, its staff and volunteer resources especially, and to understand the outcomes of recent years that had been intended, yet not fulfilled to a satisfactory level of performance in the eyes of the board or the members of the association. And after that, identify the organization's cultural features that were preventing successful outcomes. 
Then I set about trying to break down the barriers to success because ultimately an association with its members as a built-in market of enthusiastic customers really wants to succeed, but something or things are preventing it. ASCR was suffering from a lack of systems, from a lack of people who understood systems or the business models of an association, and from clearly articulated standards or objectives. So I found that one of the biggest barriers in working in turnarounds is the reliance on institutional myths. And one of those myths is that institutional knowledge is good. If institutional performance has been poor, then the institutional knowledge must be poor because knowledge is the result of experience that generated a less than excellent result. Effective institutional learning comes from developing a culture that learns from mistakes and creates a cycle of regular improvement. And RIA is changing for the better on that kind of a culture. As I mentioned before, I've brought in some outstanding people, and I think that you're going to see some tremendous changes in the future. Don, how could you let some of these people with such much such devotion and experience leave? Everyone on the staff has been given an opportunity to get on the new RIA bus, to paraphrase Jim Collins of good to great fame. For some, it wasn't a bus that they were comfortable riding with. In my 17 months with the association, I have heard that there are a lot of changes that need to be made, and so I've been trying to configure our bus to make sure that we've got have people who are willing to take accountability and ownership for results and are not afraid to break out of the, of the mold of the past and into a new manner of operating. Don, ASCR has been criticized as a rich man's organization or a country club, and now I know we have a new name, RIA. Can you please respond to this criticism? Oh, yes. RIA is a professional association with excellent opportunities for every member. If a business owner, and let's say it's one of the smaller companies that feels this is a rich man club, rich man's club wants to grow, well, the mentors are in RIA, and these guys are happy to share with their, their colleague members. Now, every, our members didn't uh, uh, leap into the industry, fully established companies and successful from the very beginning. They were small, too, and they grew up. It's this level of interaction, this networking among our members that allows them to get answers to tough business questions and decisions by others that have gone before them, allowing them to grow their businesses in a manner consistent with each member's needs, professional experience, and markets. It's an environment that we're proud of, but one actually created by our members in an effort to raise the bar within the industry. We're proud of the quality of our members, and uh, we are going to be aggressively recruiting younger companies to get involved because I believe that if you want to fly with the Eagles, you have to flock with the Eagles. Don, I, this is Joe. I have a, a quick question on um, some – there's been some rumors around, and I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but that the IICRC is also considering becoming a trade association. Would you like to comment on that? IICRC has done a fine job of, of advancing the vision of its founder, Ed York, to develop a – training standards and distribution system that helps to get training down to the technician level. In fact, I'd venture to say that the majority of RIA's members utilize IICRC certifications and IICRC-approved trainers. And with any organization's success comes a certain role confusion, as some practitioners think that by paying certification service fees to IICRC, they are paying a membership dues that gets them a vote in the organization, which they are not. I can't speak for IRCRC or for any of the other organizations serving the industry, but I can tell you what my personal philosophy is. I encourage industry participants to belong to as many trade associations as they can economically justify. 
No organization can do everything, but every organization can perform it specially to a high-quality standard and ethical practice standard, thereby giving the industry's members some meaningful options in where they invest their available money and time. All right, and I've got a few listener questions here. The first one is, um, how are ASCRs, or now the, the new group, uh, the RIA's relationship with other industry count- counterparts? Well, we, I certainly hope they are good, uh, good relationships. I've sent a, I, I have prepared a message to be sent to the other industry associations that we maintain dialogue with. I inadvertently hit the send key last Friday night, uh, as I was about to fall asleep, and each one of them graciously said they would keep it under wraps until today. Uh, we want to work with every organization in our industry with whom we share values. It's, we're not out to uh, tread on anyone's turf, and uh, we want to give the right kind of choice to the practitioners in the industry as to which organizations serve their needs. A question from a listener. Uh, what's wrong with your personality? <laughs> 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 well, it depends on who's talking. <laughs> we we lost. Yeah, you know, I didn't know my mother was going to be dialing in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she'd hopefully be on your side. <laughs> we, we we lost one earlier. Up dog, if you can come back, we'd love to have you back. I've got another one. Uh, get, Zach, get back to that green one if you would. Let's take Here a look at that. Will the RIA be working on? consumer awareness and education, and is there any plan to incorporate or implement green practices into the association? I guess a two-part question. Well, I, yeah, thank you for giving us the opportunity. I believe the date is May 23 to 25 in Laurel, Maryland. Uh, Dr. Steve Spivak has uh, coordinated a green cleaning program that we're operating in partnership with the International Fabric Care Institute. So this has been something that both Steve and Martin King have been working on for a few years, and this is going to be our first launching of our involvement in this area. We also recently joined other industry organizations like IICRC as a member of the Cleaning Industry Research Institute. So these are areas that we are uh, 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 actively enthusiastic about, at least giving the forum to the industry so that they understand all the all the options available to them as cleaning and restoration companies. And I just forgot the first part of the question, though. Actually, Zach, you'd have to go back to that one for me to get the first part. Uh, There it is. Will they be working on On consumer consumer awareness and education? education. Yes, we are. Over the years we've done it, we are in the process of uh, fast-tracking a complete reinvention of the the now restorationindustry.org website to make it an interactive website to facilitate member-to-member communications and networking, uh, allow members and uh, registrants who hold advanced certifications from us to check their own individual records with the association. And in that process, we're going to be increasing the ability for consumers to uh, access uh, restoration and cleaning service providers in their communities. As far as advertising to the general public, that's an extremely costly proposition. We've already had a day-long meeting with an advertising agency to see what methods are available to us. We are going to test market perhaps in one community uh, sometime between 2007 and the end of 2008 to see if it it can generate any results for participating companies. 
Okay, I've got another quick text question, and then we'll try and get a phone question or two in here because we're running a little bit behind, but we're doing really well, and we appreciate you sticking with us, Dawn. Uh, will RIA get into certified training at all other than the Water Loss Specialist Program, the WLS program? Well, we already are involved in training at an advanced level. We have the Certified Rug Specialist uh, uh, Program. We have the Certified Restorer Program, Certified uh, Mechanical Hygienist, Certified Mold Professional, uh, and the Water Loss Specialist Program. Uh, I, I think I may have and certif uh, uh, Certified Fabric Specialist. So we have six advanced designations that cross, uh, that cross the gamut of the industry. As the needs emerge, uh, we will consider new ones. But right now, these are what we're, we're working with the uh, programs that we have and trying to refine them so that they operate more efficiently and also reflect a broader consensus in the instructional material. Do you expect that training, and I, again, another text question, do you expect that training is going to play a, a bigger role than it does now, or will that kind of stay the same or maybe go a little lesser? Uh, it's hard to say in relative terms. I, I don't think the, the training is going to be a lesser role. In terms of proportionality, we want to become more actively involved in representing the interests of the industry. So this is an area that we've never been involved with before. So if we talk in terms of proportions, uh, the proportion of the association's effort, there, you're going to be seeing more coming out of RIA than you've seen in the past. Uh, but we want we are committed to training. We've expanded the fall conference to include all the divisions of the association, the NERC division, environmental, and the damage restoration division. To be a, it's going to be a four-day event in Anaheim, and you will see probably after the 2008 or the 2009 convention that we're moving the convention to larger venues to, uh, to accommodate not just a larger audience, but a bigger show floor that we can bring equipment inside the exhibit arena rather than... Uh, not have it or have to have the audience go to a parking lot. See if I can uh, get to a couple of these phone questions here, Don. We've got a bunch of people online. Let's try uh, about restoration. He's been on early. Restoration, did you have a question? Hello, restoration. Okay, how about trying to move on down to uh, let's go Let's go back to, uh, let's go to, to Glenn Feldman there on IAQ Guest 2, I believe. Hello, Glenn. Oop, you got on Hello, Don and friends. How are you all? Uh, there he is. Uh, good, good, Glenn. I was curious if you had any, uh, after listening to all this news, if you had any questions you wanted to add. Oh, wow. I'm just taking it all in. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating, and, and I, I wish uh, uh, my friends at, I guess, RIA, I should say, the, the best of success. And uh, Don, over the last 17 months, I've watched you uh, give this organization some some well needed guidance and direction. And uh, if your strategic planning group uh, saw this as the the best way to push uh, ASCR forward, then uh, I'm I'm sure it's going to be successful for you. It it sounds to me like you've got a a very good plan in mind, and, and not certainly not something to be done hastily. So I I, I think it sounds great. Um, I have a million questions, I guess, and uh, and I'm sure Steve Sauer has a million questions, and he'll probably be throwing them at uh, at you in in uh, in an in, for an interview uh, for the for the paper. And uh, interestingly enough, we have an interview with uh, with Brian Spiegel, the the president of ASCR, of the former ASCR, 
in, in this month's issue of Indoor Environment Connections. He didn't give us that news about this uh, that you've announced today, Don, but uh, he did uh, talk a lot about the future of the association, and I think it dovetails well into what you're talking about. So, uh, Thank you, Great Mike. stuff. Great stuff. Thank you. Let's see, uh, Zach, if you could go up a little bit further. Um, I've got Olds31 on the line, I think. Olds31, are you on the line there? Yes, I'm here. Did you have a question for Don or a comment? My question is a comment. It's taken 19 or 20 years for this to happen, and I, for one, am very glad it finally has. Well, thank, thank you for your comment. Thanks for your comment, old Take thirty-one. Some others, yeah, let's see if we've got any other comments or questions down here. We've got. Uh, let's try uh, Michael. Jay Michelson. Jay Michelson. Jay, are you on the line? Looks like we've lost Jay. We uh, we've got quite a few people that uh, have been calling in and uh, emailing and texting, and uh, it's a little tough for us. Let's try Cole. Cole, are you on the line? Hello, Cole. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on. Is this the infamous Cole S? Cole S, is that Stanton? That's me. <laughs> Any questions for Don Cole? Um, or comments? No, a uh, comment, though. Uh, one of the most welcome pieces of news is what Don just said about the fall show. Um, you know, for those of us who work in manufacturing and products and support trade shows as exhibitors, uh, the idea of expanding the show hall and expanding the fall show is extremely welcome news, and uh, so I commend you for that, Don. Thank you very much, Cole. Great. Thanks for joining us, Cole. Let's move down to uh, Linda. Linda H. Uh, Linda, are you on the line? Okay, and go up one to Elyris. Elyris. Hello, Elira. Elisa Marcus. Hey, Elisa. <laughs> How are you, Elisa? I'm doing great. Great. Do you have any questions I, or comments for Dawn? You know what? I do. Um, you know, it's very well known in the industry that I've never been a supporter of ASDR. It's probably one of the biggest proponents for them and the direction that I've seen them taking and and you know, this announcement today, although um, I am shocked at it, um, am very pleased about the direction of the industry. You know, there's been a, a huge push um, within our industry and the public at large to raise the bar on the work that is being done out there. You know, you look at, at the um, things that have been coming out of the Wall Street Journal and, and you know, our industry has taken a huge hit and, and for an association to take a lead like what I am hearing today is um, amazing and you guys should just really be um, applauded and, and commended for your work. Um, you know, the, the green cleaning, uh, so important in today's day and age. You know, we see that in as the future in our industry. So, you know, I applaud your efforts in, in doing that and, and cannot wait to uh, be a part of that as well. So, again, you know, Don and, and your staff, uh, you know, uh, if you haven't gotten my membership application, be looking for it in the mail. Uh, 
<laughs> That's what you like to hear, huh, Don? Well, actually, we're, we're, I love to hear that kind of talk. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> actually, 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 we're beyond out of time. We're on overtime, and yeah, we'll, we'll give Lloyd his full time as yes, well. Yes, we will. But um, thank you for joining us, Lisa. But before we get off, there are two things we like to end with. Number one, is there anything that you would like to add, Don, that we missed? The only thing I'd like to add is if you're involved in any way with the restoration industry, the opportunities to participate are there, and we invite you to join us. The board has approved, although the paperwork isn't final yet, the reinstitution of individual memberships for solo practitioner professionals and for the uh, professionals who are facility managers, hospital administrators, and others who are members' customers so that they can belong to the association and be up to date on all of the uh, advances in technology and business practices. So uh, I, it's a big tent, and the more that we have participating, the more feedback we can get, the better the quality of the industry consensus that we can create. Well, I, I want to thank all of our listeners. There are still people trying to get in, Dawn. So what I'd like to do is, is to wrap up. How can listeners who haven't had a chance to ask a question here contact you to get their specific questions answered? They can uh, email me at dmanger at restorationindustry.org. D- and uh, dmanger, D-M-A-N-G-E-R. At? Restoration Industry, no punctuations, dot O-R-G. Dot org. Great. And uh, if, uh, if there are a lot of questions, uh, uh, ask them to uh, have patience. It may take me a few days to get back, get responses to everyone. Okay, listeners, you heard that. <laughs> Hang in there with uh, Don. He's obviously been doing quite a bit. Don, I really want to thank you for coming on. I hope we can bring you back again. And uh, we appreciate it uh, greatly that you came on to make this announcement on IAQ Radio. And Thank you very much, Joe and Cliff. You're welcome. And feel please feel free to stick on with our uh, second guest here. Actually, we've got two to go. And, um, you know, we at the end of the show oftentimes have a little roundtable. So we'd love to have you if you can stick around. Will do. Thank you. All right. Our second guest today for a quick IEC What's News is Mr. Glenn Fellman. So, Glenn, are you on the line? And can you tell us what's news? Glad to, to, to give you the news. First of all, uh, our, our February 2000 edition is reaching people's mailboxes this week. And if not this week, uh, it's probably because of the ice, and you'll get it next week. But we lead off with a cover story out of Canada, of all places. And uh, the uh, cover graphic is interesting. It's the, uh, the, uh, a map of Canada with a big yield sign that says mold-free zone. The story behind this, Health Canada, which is uh, uh, the Canadian health authority, has uh, put forward a new recommendation that you remove all the mold growing in residential buildings, regardless of the mold species found to be growing in the building. And what's um, interesting about this is that it's health-based. The recommendation is based on health, and and the uh, report says as much. It cites a variety of uh, scientific work that's been done, and it's it's very meaningful, I think, in that it, it brings the health issue and mold together for the first time in a North American government, um, you know, from a North American government authority, certainly in a way we haven't seen out of EPA or any of the other American uh, organizations and agencies. 
Moving on from our uh, our front page story, we uh, our, our at press time was a uh, a little story about a group called the Environmental Education Foundation that we've done a lot of coverage of over the last two years. Not exactly uh, the most favorable coverage in terms of uh, from their perspective. It's a group that uh, has a, a dubious reputation. In this uh, month's issue, we talk about how they used the names of several organizations, <clears throat> including our newspapers. Uh, IAQAs, ASCRs, uh, AIHAs, a bunch of other names to send hoax, uh, emails out uh, to sort of, uh, I guess, convince people that uh, they were us and <laughs> identified a training program that they had a, uh, some sort of a stipend for and this and that. So we alerted our readers on it. We also have a story about the appeals that have been uh, made to the IICRC on the S520. So far, the uh, story out of IICRC, so to speak, has been pretty quiet. Uh, these things don't seem to be making a, um, a large difference in the big scheme of things. The, the work of the S520 con uh, committee continues. We don't um, know a lot because these things are handled sort of on the inside, but information does come through to us. And so we've got some information about what IICRC says, basically the incidents are mostly too old to be reviewable, citing a 15-day moratorium on reporting offenses taking place uh, in their standards-making process. And even in the cases uh, that, that uh, you know, are in that 15-day period, IICRC provided pretty lengthy responses and in, in most cases uh, denied the allegations that were made. They are, I know, working with both the people who filed claims to try to resolve them informally and to the extent that they're successful in that, it'll help them to, to move forward. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, and you'll read about it as it, as it unfolds. Got another story about uh, the American Lung Association's report on uh, um, cigarette smoking. And the uh, report is called The State of Tobacco Control, and it grades states on their control of tobacco. The leader is Maine, and uh, Maine actually led two years in a row. And it's an interesting article. Talks about what you, what it needs to do to a state needs to do to make it to the top of the list. And if you go to our website, uh, when that story goes up there, you'll be able to to link in and see the, the whole list of states and so forth. Moving on in the paper, we have a uh, two presidents interviews this month. We've got one with Bill Lundquist, the NADCA president. His interview, the big news out of NADCA, they are pursuing ANSI accreditation. Uh, NADCA has joined as an ANSI member. They are now uh, trying to get accredited as a standards development body. And once they do so, their uh, announced intent is to get their standards approved as ANSI standards. So we see a trend here uh, that's moved through the industry. I think that it started with IICRC. Uh, we saw IASO do the same thing last year. And, and now here's NADCA moving in that direction. And it's great news for the cleaning restoration industry to have so many um, you know, groups working towards a accredited standards development process. Absolutely. Um, uh, like I say, we've got a, a good interview with uh, Brian Spiegel, the president of the Restoration Industry Association, and uh, you don't want to miss that. He talks about uh, the big picture for the association and also some of the work they're doing in Colorado. Real quick, we've got an article by Dave Governo about uh, air cleaner cases where uh, both Sharper Image and Brookstone were ordered to pay some pretty hefty damages in some class action suits for um, making health claims that are not, uh, were not accurate. We've got an opinion by Dr. Burge, Harriet Burge, on encapsulating fungal growth versus leaving it in place. 
and she actually advocates uh, encapsulation in certain instances, and she provides very, very specific uh, points as to when it, it uh, is and is not appropriate. I think readers will really enjoy that. Um, and then lastly, I wanted to com comment uh, on FiberLock Technologies, which wins the Advertiser of the Month Award. They have an advertisement in here where they have listed the 130 organisms that uh, their product, Shockwave, can kill. And they did that over four pages of, of, uh, of newsprint, which uh, costs a pretty penny, and it actually is a very, very informative ad and, and the kind of thing that you don't see a lot of uh, manufacturers do these days. So it's, it's very, very interesting. Back half of the newspaper, we've got an editorial by uh, Radio Joe here, Joe Hughes, talking about what the industry needs for uh, education and certification. It's a, a very, very good editorial piece. IEQ in schools, we've got Bill Turner with us again, talking about uh, uh, that boiler smell that you thought you fixed. It's a, it's a pretty funny piece, actually. We've got Jeffrey May uh, on my Microbial Growth 101, A Tale of Two Twinkies. And if you've never seen a picture of a Twinkie with a mushroom growing out of it, you need to see page 38 of our February edition. <laughs> and then wrapping it up, we've got Bob Brandis, who uh, is, wrote for us about, uh, Dr. Bob Brandis, about quantifying bacterial levels in w categories one through three water. And wrapping it up, Charlie Cochran from Cochran Ventilation in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Uh, he covered HVAC system hygiene focus uh, piece this month, and his is on hospital HVAC system cleaning, and uh, specifically the planning and the teamwork involved in a hospital project. So that wraps up this issue, and that's what we've got uh, on, on the play for you this month. I am sure that the March issue will be talking a lot about the Restoration Industry Association and uh, a lot of the other things that you talk about on your show. Thank you guys for the time today, and uh, I look forward to listening on your next guest. Well, thank you, Glenn. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, everybody's got to tune in now and or check out the new IE Connections. We've got some intro music, I believe, for our next guest, CJ. Hi. It gives me great pleasure this morning to introduce an industry pioneer. Lloyd Weaver founded a carpet and upholstery cleaning business in Rapid City, South Dakota in 1955. At that time, there were only two options for dealing with water-damaged carpeting, removal to plants for cleaning and drying, or what we called suck and hope. Suck and hope was suck up the water, <laughs> spray a deodorizer or antimicrobial, and hope nothing bad would happen. A devastating flood caused severe property damage in Rapid City. With inadequate personnel and physical resources to respond to the demand for his services, Lloyd Weaver needed a creative solution to respond to an overwhelming request for his services. Lloyd had the big idea. Why not dry carpets on location? Lloyd conceived and developed the Porta Dryer, and the disaster restoration industry has never been the same since. Over the years, Lloyd's business has grown in size and complexity, adding additional services, manufacturing capabilities, and training offerings as required. Lloyd's Inc. still remains a family business today. It's important that the world know and never forget that Lloyd Weaver was the man who conceived the concept of drying on location. In 1995, at the first Water Lost Industry event, I had the honor and privilege of recognizing Lloyd Weaver, industry pioneer, as the person who had contributed the most to the water damage restoration field. Lloyd, you know, at that time, you told all of us carpet cleaners that restoration was where it's at, 
and today another one of your visions was fulfilled when ASER changes its name to the Restoration Industry Association. Good afternoon, Lloyd. How are you, Claire? I'm doing good. What year did you invent the port dryer Lloyd? Well, we had the flood in 1971, and we found out that we had no room to bring all the wet carpets into the shop to dry and plant, so we basically had to figure out some way to dry things on location. Remember one thing, most of water damage on location drying is done with clean water, black water, gray water, mud, flood, things of that sort. We usually re recommend to replace it, so it's, uh, it, it works both ways. Uh, what inspired you to invent the air mover, or uh, porta dryer, well, as you call it? The dryer had to be put into operation because there's no way in the world we could even dry the carpets, the pads, the structure, the contents. Everything was soaking wet. Uh, when you had a broken pipe, it flooded the floors. It went up into sill plates. It went into the sheetrock, and we had no way of drying it. So we figured there's got to be some way. The average fan didn't work, so we invented the machine that basically put up to 2,500 cubic feet of air approximately right down on the floor or under the carpet. Uh, Lloyd, this is Joe. Was the Porta dryer just a single product, or did you use this in combination with other techniques? Well, the dryer would evaporate the moisture, turn it from a liquid to a vapor. Then you had to have a dehumidifier to turn the vapor back to a liquid and down the drain. So we had to have a dryer, a dehumidification process, and also uh, devices to test for moisture. There was a fellow in California, Jack Forbes, invented the first aquacenter and turned it to us, and that would show then what was wet and what was dry in, the, in just about anything that you would touch or penetrate. Mr. Weaver, it's always an honor to, to talk to someone who's known Cliff longer than I have. How, how did the... Uh, he changed my diapers. <laughs> how now you're, you're showing my age here. How did the industry at that time respond to your idea? Well, originally, when we put it out on the market, we took it to a couple trade shows, and they more or less were pretty suspicious. The old-timers really didn't want to accept any change, but we had proven it and perfected it and, and found it would work for us. It wasn't too hard to teach other people. We had to teach the younger ones first because they would, they would adapt to a new idea, but it wasn't long before the old-timers came around because if they see if they didn't change, they're going to be left behind in the dust. Uh, as the industry's first trainer in, in water damage restoration, I went to your class, uh, and I made a lot of money using your ideas and using your technology, and you probably made more millionaires in this industry probably than, than anyone else. And I, well, the only mistake I made, Cliff, was not setting it up to where they had to pay me a 1% royalty fee. There <laughs> Well, can the you... same with the insurance companies, because we've saved them millions and millions and millions of dollars, and it's also a convenience for the customer, because in many cases, you don't have to tear their entire house completely to pieces. You know, you probably have a couple of interesting stories to tell us about some early water damage restoration. Uh, could you tell us a couple of the stories that just, you know, stand out well, in your mind? Well, we had one in particular up at Black Forest Development in the hills, and it was extremely cold. The electricity went off, a power line was down, all the lines froze, the electricity company got it back on, the pipes thawed out, it started to run, and uh, it filled up the entire basement with water. And what we found out when we went up to chip the ice to get the doors open, the entire cross where the basement was full of water, it was on the side hill, and when you open the door down, our technicians go down the bank with about 
oh, eight feet of water pushing them down the hill. That was one of the worst ones. What, there was one about grass seeds or something. Can you tell me about that one? Well, yeah, we, we had a water damage, and we didn't realize it, but what happened when the basement filled with water, we got about a foot of water in it, it broke open a bag of grass seed. The grass seed floated on top when the water receded. It dropped down into the grass or into the to the carpeting. When the customer got home about a month later, it was warm in there. There was moisture, and he had a beautiful lawn growing completely throughout <laughs> his entire basement. It was long enough you actually could have mowed it with a lawnmower. Uh, Lloyd, we've got a text question that ties into what we discussed earlier, and one of the listeners would like to know, would you have thought the industry would evolve into what it is today? Oh, we had no idea. No idea what it would do. We we have to take anything where if, if anybody copies us, we have to take it as a compliment. We never get discouraged on that end of it because there's always new ideas, new things to go to. And when you run out of a certain item, it forces you to go on to a new one. So that's worked out very well for us. No, I, I would say it's probably a multi-million dollar conglomerate right now throughout the world. And it has it, it, it has gone to stages that I never would have realized. Do you think that you got it right that the process of water damage, damage restoration is actually a pretty simple concept, and that other people well, have we tried to keep it as simple. We tried to keep it as simple as possible. I think a lot of companies have taken made it complicated. I'm not quite sure why. I know maybe things should be complicated so they can make more money, but I don't really figure that way either. It's still basically to go in. Uh, get rid of the excess water, dry everything affected, and find out what we can save and what we can't. That's pretty, it's pretty simple. Lloyd, can you comment on a technique known as top-down drying? We have tried top-down drying, and we have not had the results that some people claim. Maybe they're using it a different way than we are, but I found that basically you're going to have to get to the bottom of the source and then bring her dry it from the bottom up. That's still a, the process that we use. You know, many great thinkers and visionaries have only one big epiphany or great idea in their lives. I understand that in your crystal ball you have a vision for the future. What is it? Well, we were working in the home some time ago, a number of years ago, and we'd cleaned the carpets and the furniture, the drapes, the furnace vents, ducks, and registers, and I'm sitting there with the sun shining in the window making out the ladies' Uh, Bill, and I'm, I'm noticing that the air is completely full of dust. And I said, we've got to come up with some way that we can turn around and make this house dust-free. And that is our new concept now. We call it dust down. We go into homes, especially new construction and remodeling, and air wash everything with high-pressure air. We have large machines that encapsulate all of the dust. The gravity, dust, and debris goes to the floor. We pick that up with HEPA vacuums. When we get done with a home now, we basically can make the entire home 99.97% dust-free with our HEPA filters. So people with allergies and asthma, and 40% of them have it, can move into a home, and as soon as they move in, their health will improve 95% in 48 hours because there is no dust. Now, remember one thing. Everything piggybacks on dust, viruses, germs, Mold spore, uh, your feces from your dust mite, uh, cat saliva. Cat saliva is the worst thing there is for your lungs, and it will carry on dust. Now, if you get home and the sun is shining in the window and you notice in the sunlight, you've got a tremendous amount of what we call invisible dust because it only shows when the sun is shining there, and it creates a prism 
with the sunlight through the glass. Now, if you have the process done into your home, you will find when the sun shines in, there is no visible dust in the air. So there's nothing to carry the bad dust into your lungs. So I, I take it you see this dust removal as a, a new service, or is this oh, a, a It's luxury? unbelievable. We've taken it around the country. We did a home in Bightley, Michigan the other day for a lady. We cover all of the United States. It was a 26,000-square-foot, three-story log home, $8 million home. It had been under construction for three years. She tried to move into it. She's allergic to dust. Her son-in-law called us. We spent three days there with five technicians. We took out 295 pounds of dust, believe it or not, because we weighed the bags. And uh, now she can move into her home. Wow. Lloyd, being out in the rural area, I understand you use some unique modes of uh, transportation. Do you use mules out there to get from job to job or what? Well, we can use the mules up to the hunting camp. I've got one, two sons, two of my boys out of four are pilots with IFR and VFR rating. We've got a sixth passenger bonanza, so we use it to go out and inspect the jobs because we do it all over the country now. And also then to carry our personnel back and forth and then the semis and the trailers take the equipment out i'm wondering lloyd i've i've met your son lance at several shows and you've got a, a whole line of products now that are kind of uh well they're they're new and uh very interesting do you think it runs in the family being an inventor i think so i've got four boys and a girl and, and they've all brought ideas into our business which has increased our business volume and profit margin along that line so yes with lance basically now has come up with some new ideas on robots to where you can go into commercial buildings and actually lock down the insulation on the inside of the commercial ductwork, which basically stops a lot of problems because there's about 85% resistance airflow on your insulation. And by locking this down with this uh, the product that they spray in there, it seals it, and it also reduces your resistance of your airflow, so you'll find you should save from 25 15 to 25% of your energy. Now, if you've got a building that you're spending $100,000 a month on and you're saving $25,000, all at once their ears perk up and they realize there's something there that they're going to have to have done. And with the robots that Lance makes, you can run it through the ductwork and it actually will spray everything as it goes or comes. I've got a, a text question here. Lloyd, what advice do you have for new companies looking to get into this business? Well, all they have to do is go out and look at their market. If I was starting a brand-new business right now, any town, first thing I would do is contact my contractors because they now can they offer their customers a dust-free environment to move into, and that's 40% of the, of the population. I would contact the housewives because, as we all know, the woman control, controls the pocketbook, and if she wants to move into a house that's dust-free, not only for your health purposes but just the fact that you don't have to dust every day, because when you really stop and figure it out, when you start to really break down the one to two pounds of dust per hundred square foot of house, that's a lot of dust. Another text question. What are your thoughts about new construction drying, Lloyd, drying the building while it's being built? Well, it's a necessity. A lot of the contractors aren't doing it. They're covering up an awful lot of moisture in these buildings. If you go in there with the special gauges and check, you'll find that some of these buildings is practically... 100%. Everything in there has got way too much moisture in it, so it should be dried 
during construction with our meters and the devices and instruments that we have now, the customer can basically move into a house that they don't have to worry about having any mold showing up down the road because there's no moisture. Lloyd, you know, in training class, there were a couple of Lloydisms that I, I remember learning in class from you, and I don't know that they've really changed over the years. And what I'd like to know, ask you is, how do you know when you have enough equipment on a job, enough drawing equipment? You, you would bring that up, wouldn't you? We figured the bigger the truck, the more equipment you could haul. We would take a haul in equipment until we popped a fuse or a circuit breaker, take one back out so we know it was going to run continuously. The more equipment we could put in, not for the monetary value, but the more equipment you could put in, the quicker it would dry. Amen. So why prolong it instead of drying it in six days, put in twice as much equipment and dry it in three? Uh, we have a call-in question for you, Lloyd. Hello, Darren. Hello, Darren. Darren, are you on the Darren, line? Darren, are you on the line? Hey, I'm here. You got a question for Lloyd? Yeah, I was uh, just actually I was just uh, listening to the comments uh, as far as new construction drying is concerned, and and I think one of the things that would drive that industry is getting that message out to the consumer. How do you think we could do that more effectively? Okay, the secret we've found now. This is a secret, so write it down. If you go down to the city hall for the issue. Building contracts, building, uh, what's the word I want? Building uh, permits. permits. You'll find out who's building, where, when, what, why, how much, when it's to be done, when it started, and who the contractor is, and who the owner is. Now, if I send a letter out, if you're building a new home, and I send a letter out to your wife and say, if you want to be sure that you move it into a house that will have no trouble down the road because there was excess moisture in the structure during construction, or if you want to move into a dust-free environment, we can hit you with both guns, and here it is. It's a free estimate. We'll come out. We'll do the evaluation with the instrument. If I come in there with an instrument that shows that I've got 80% humidity in the wood or the wall or the sheet rocks or the floors or whatever before they turn around and cover everything up, you know darn well, she's got many, many smarts. She's going to say, hey, I don't want to move into this house unless there's been proper measures taken care of to protect me and my family. Lloyd, I've got another text question here. Um, dust is, you know, obviously very light in weight. How do you measure this? How do you uh, measure the amount of dust that you're removing? Do you use particle counters? Do you use filters uh, and then weigh it? We actually use uh, filters and we weigh, actually weigh the bags before and afterwards. So we pretty much know the average bag, the big bags will hold up to 38 pounds of dust. Now, you're not talking the normal dust in the home because when we get into new construction, all you have to do is pull the furniture registers out and you can have dirt in there an inch deep. And every time they turn the furnace or the air conditioner on, it's got to go someplace so it's coming up into the house. It, uh, we've, we've used the rule of thumb. We've measured the houses. We've weighed the bags. And pretty much like I say, the fact of the matter is you'll average from one to two pounds of dust per 100 square feet, believe it or not. You know, in the studio, at Studio B here, uh, we're looking up and we've got a suspended ceiling in this building. And I'm sure that there are a lot of commercial buildings, Lloyd, with suspended ceiling tiles. And there literally has to be tons of dust above those. Have you ever done any of this in a commercial environment? Oh, yes. We have the drop ceilings that have the square. Uh, I guess you'd, it's almost a cellos board or whatever we call it. And what we do is you'll open up one tile put your dust machine on the floor, run the 10-inch hose up to that hole, 
cut a wooden plate to fit that hole, and then in the surrounding areas, 6, 8, 10, 15 feet around, you'll go up with high-pressure air and literally blow every speck of dust from there and down into the hose you'll go. So it's very simple to do it. We use all high-pressure air when we go in and put one dust machine, as we call it, per 1,000 square feet approximately. We've done uh, warehouses up to 60,000 square feet. We've done homes up to 26,000 square feet. We're actually bidding a home right now in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It's a $17 million complex, and the people want to buy it, but they can't move in because the other people had cats. There's cat saliva, there's cat dandruff, and there's cat hair. And every time the kids come in, they plug up, and they've got to take them to the hospital because they have an asthma attack. So we'll be out there working on that very soon. It'll take us approximately 21 days with three crews. Now, we have to give them a guaranteed job when we're done. Otherwise, we don't get paid. And when we get done with that job, the kids can come in. They can live in that house. And really, their their health will improve 95% in 48 hours, even moving into our structure because it's just been clean. You must remember the allergists, the people and the doctors that treat people with allergies and asthma do not recommend us because in many cases when we take care of the problem, then they don't have to go back to the doctor anymore. I think I'm going to put a shingle out and call myself Dr. Beaver and maybe go that route, but I'd probably be breaking the law, and I would never, never do that, as you know, Cliff. Right. Another text question for you. Uh, What are your thoughts about unit pricing uh, for water damage versus uh, by the piece pricing? So essentially, you mean per equipment or square footage or what? Yeah, I guess I guess the odds are, or I guess the options are one. I think what they're asking us here is, you go into the job day one, and based on square footage or cubic footage, you tell them on day one how long it's going to take and what it's going to cost. Versus the other option of just letting the equipment run and charging them. You know, the meter's running till it's dry, and then giving them a bill. Any of those? Well, it works both ways. I try to give the customer a high and a low, an approximate estimate. My gauge, if it shows that the walls are wet, we'll have to drill holes below the sill plate or below the quarter round, etc. But in average, you should be able to dry it in a certain period of time. And if I run over a day or two, I'll basically go ahead and just give that as a compliment to the customer. Now, if we run into a situation where... If it's going to take a week, I'll charge them for four days. If it takes two weeks, I'll charge them for eight. But it just depends on the individual circumstance. We've had cases where there's been an ongoing water problem, and it just keeps it stays wet all the time. Come to find out that people are running humidifiers in their home when we're trying to dry it out. Well, that's kind of a no, you know, you can't win. A no-win situation there. Well, yes, sir. Be- before we uh, – we're we're doing pretty well on time, but I always like to ask, is there anything that we missed that you'd like to add, Lloyd? Well, not. I think you probably pretty well covered it everything. It, uh, dust down, number one, remember this, is not a luxury. It's a necessity. Because if you've got allergies and asthma, it, you know, if you get the house dust-free, it could save your life. Because we have an awful lot of people that, uh, well, here's one example we find out a lot of people don't realize it, but there's also machines on the market that they can put into their home that will help with the airborne dust or particulate. It has a special HEPA filter. A lot of people don't understand what HEPA means. It's basically, from what I understand, a high-efficiency particulate arrester. So now the housewife is a specialist because she knows what it means. And it'll collect the bad dust because there is no good dust. 
Now, if this filter unit will turn 100 cubic feet of air every minute, or 6,000 cubic feet of air per hour, or 144,000 cubic feet per day. Now, the housewife can figure it out. If she's got a house that's 2,000 square feet, 8-foot ceilings, that's approximately 16,000 cubic feet. Now, if you run that machine in there, divide the 16 into 144,000, it equals 9. So that means that there in your house is exchanged through the filter unit nine times every 24 hours, which is exceptional. Very good. Lloyd, how can people get in touch with you? What's your phone number? Well, our phone number is 605-343-5694. Or we've got a web page and an email now, too. We're really getting really modernistic out here. The email is Lloyd's at rapidnet.com. And our web page is www.lloydsinc.com. And then also the fax. The fax is very good because it's 605-343-9485. The fax works better for me because I'm not smart enough to bring you up on the, on the web page and the email. Uh, I can do water damage, but I can't run these damn computers. My sons and everybody else, even my grandsons, so I bring him in a lot. <laughs> it's, it's great to have Don't the... laugh. It isn't funny when you get as old as I am. Hell, you start falling apart. We love to have the pioneers on here, Lloyd, and, and really appreciate you coming on. Let's check back and see if uh, if Dawn is still on the phone. Hello, Dawn. Are, are, well, Dawn, are you still with us? Hi, Cliff. Hi, Hi, Joe. Hello, Dawn. We've got Dawn. We've got Lloyd still on the phone. I think we also may have uh, Glenn. Did Glenn Feldman drop? Yeah. He dropped. But, uh, Dawn, I was wondering if you had any questions or comments for Lloyd. Lloyd? I just loved listening to you. That was one of the best presentations I've heard. And I love hearing that entrepreneurs creating solutions. Well, you must realize everything that we have here, we use in our own business. We've been in business since 1955, and uh, we've got we've started a whole new segment. This dust down is just is, is something I can't believe. The potential is it's, it's going to be just as tough to teach the fellows to get into it, maybe. But uh, that's okay. They can send the jobs to me. I'll come out and work on them and help them and get them started and so forth and so on. At the same time, I make very good money doing it. And at the same time, the customer says, thank you, Lloyd Weaver, for making me healthy. How often should I do this? Well, the average home, believe it or not, even the same as furnace, vents, ducts, and registers, if it's done properly and you put the portable machines in there that the customer can use, you shouldn't have to do it only every five or ten years. So it's not something that's going to hit them in the face every year. Now, remember one thing. On the dust down, though, it's either new homes before the customer moves in. We try to be there three days before they install the carpeting. Or before, if it's remodeled, we also try to do it before they move back in. And we have machines that they can put in during remodeling that will encapsulate all of the airborne particulate so you don't get your cross-contamination. Finally, finally, we are getting the contractors out here to realize that they can make a happy customer because they don't contaminate the entire structure. Now, we've got that, another... That, Go ahead, Don. Does that, uh, for the builder, does that, if he uses your service, will that lower his callback costs in, in uh, months or years down the road? Well, what happens, the customer moves into a house, and as soon as she turns the, the system on, the, the house looks like a dust storm, and then she's mad at the contractor, especially if there's been remodeling done. 
And I guess their attitude is, if we ignore it, it'll go away, out of sight, out of mind. Well, that doesn't happen when they turn these systems on and, and they have to start dusting, because if you'd see what comes out of these systems, you wouldn't believe it. That's why, like I say, 40% of our population is being bombarded in their own homes so heavy with dust. And if we get rid of the dust, basically there's nothing for the other stuff to piggyback onto. Hey, Don, we've got uh, greetings from Australia and a question. How will the new changes with the RIA affect international members? We would like to see an international RIA brand. In fact, I talked with some of our colleagues in Australia about uh, the interest in developing a, an Australian chapter, if you will, or an RIA of Australia. And in fact, the board has authorized a change in the dues charged to members outside of North America. We're going to be introducing it probably by March 1st, and it will cut the uh, membership dues for non-domestic or non-North American members of uh, RIA in half from what they've been paying. Well, thank you. Thank you, Don. Any other uh, questions or comments from any of our guests? Um, We've got... Bring it on. I've got one. I've got one thing, Cliff. You must remember, if you have a dog in the house, we've noticed this, and he's standing in the middle of the room, and you turn your air mover on, and the carpet floats, and he's standing on this floating carpet. He freezes. He will not move. We've had this happen. <laughs> Do not try to remove him without letting the air out, because he'll attack you. He turns into a maniac. <laughs> I got so what you have to do is shut your air mover off, let the carpet settle down, and then entice him off with a biscuit, because the poor devil does not understand what has happened, because all at once he's off the floor. When he steps down, the carpet gives, and he, he doesn't know what happens. <laughs> I can't. So do not try to move any dog in the middle of a floating carpet until you let the air out. Not out of the dog, but out, <laughs> out uh, of the carpet. I can't think of any better way to end the show today. Than, <laughs> I'll tell you, Lloyd, thank you so much for joining us. We hope we can have you back again. Don Manger, thank you also for joining us. I'd like to thank uh, Glenn Fellman for doing IEC's What's News. And, of course, most importantly, we'd like to thank all of our listeners and all the text message folks that have been sending these messages and downloading our shows. Thanks to all of you, and please join us again next Friday at noon for the next edition of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.